Well, hey, 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 hey. Just sliding in gently to a new year at Emmaus Way. Good to see all your faces again. In a designation of time, we've all agreed to call 2020. So, yeah, if you haven't had that experience yet where you write it and it's like, what? Yeah, somewhere my Y2K afraid teenage self is like really weirded out by the fact we all made it this far. But, uh, but it is Epiphany Sunday in, in addition to all that, and we're going to call ourselves tonight with this prayer for a privileged people, which I think most everyone here would have to admit that we are. And other than his very strange indents, these are lovely, lovely poems and prayers from Walter Brueggemann. On Epiphany Day, we're still the people waiting, we are still people in the dark, and the darkness looms large around us, beset as we are by fear, anxiety, brutality, violence, loss. A dozen alienations we cannot manage. We are, we could be, people of your light. So we pray for the light of your glorious presence as we wait for your appearing. We pray for the light of your wondrous grace as we exhaust our coping capacity. We pray for your gift of newness that will override our weariness. We pray that we may see and know and hear and trust in your good rule, that we may have energy, courage, and freedom to enact your rule through the demands of this day. We submit this day to you and to your rule with deep joy and high hope. Amen. So, um, we're going to sing a community song, and then I think we'll do announcements afterwards, unless there's a reason not to. All right. Go tell it on the mountain one more time, because we started a six-week unit, and we sort of patched Christmas and, and, uh, and Epiphany onto there, and so we will be starting into a new thing next week, talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I think the kids are actually starting it this week, at least some of them, um, talking about Amos or maybe that was just the old, anyway, but they're, they're, we're headed there. Go tell it on the mountain. We'll do this a few times through. Go tell it on the mountain people, people traveling with them, we bid you safety. In ways, I think we are still, as a staff, patterning out. We are planning on taking on a sort of new six-week season next week um, on prophecy, the prophets, and imagination, liberations, 
All right, I'll let Molly talk about it. So, um, yeah, next week, our new series on prophet deliberation begins. Uh, it'll be great starting with a community meal at 4 o'clock. Um, if you haven't been to a meal, um, they're really just excellent, excellent. And a reminder that if you are able to donate some money toward offsetting the cost of food, you are welcome to. Um, not required, but always welcome. And Dave Tyson has a comment about what we're going to do, isn't it? Yes. So along with the community meal, we're going to be having a listening session uh, focused on the pastor search process that we kicked off uh, back in December, November, whatever, whatever it was that we had uh, our last FLC meeting. We talked a, kind of a bit about what that is. So um, if you're not aware, we are in the process of uh, searching for a new pastor to uh, join our staff with sort of a children's focus, um, children's ministry focus. And so we're having a listening session during the community meal um, as a way to uh, discern some of the community's voice and thoughts and dreams and wishes about this position that we have not yet posted, but we'll be posting here in a very short uh, time frame. Uh, if you're not able to make it, we're also going to send out uh, the same questions we're going to have the, for the listening session discussion via social and other ways um, to get your feedback that way if you're not able to make it. But hopefully you can, uh, and uh, look forward to hearing what you guys yeah, and UA folks are still getting back into the rhythm and returning back from holiday travel. So I would encourage you to invite someone next Sunday because listening sessions in person are invaluable. And this is a really important conversation. And this is really where the community's voice will shape and help the search team know what you all are thinking. So bring a friend to church next Sunday. <laughs> Don't know if we've ever had one of those before. Um, <laughs> I have another announcement about CAN, Durham CAN. Um, you all perhaps have seen what's going on in, at McDougal Terrace with carbon monoxide. Over 300 people have been, are now staying in hotels. It's a real cluster. Um, it's not great. So there are two specific ways that Durham CAN is asking our partner churches to show up. One is tomorrow. There's a city council meeting that supposedly is just going to be talking about what's happening with Durham Housing and specifically McDougal Terrace and next steps. Um, the meeting begins at 7. If you would like to come and sort of stand with and be with CAN, they're gathering in the lobby at 6. Um, yeah, they would love as many CAN partners to be there as possible to recognize it's last minute. Ben asked what we're doing at the meeting, um, and it's still, I will say it is still developing, but what I'm imagining will be happening is the leaders who have been specifically working on DHA and organizing in other DHA communities, um, and with DHA directly, I imagine they're trying to get time to speak, but what CAN is really hoping is that a lot of the city and those that don't live in DHA will show up and say, this is an injustice and an abomination, and we need to fix this. So if you're free tomorrow night, 6 o'clock in the lobby, really 6.30, you'd be fine. Meeting starts at 7. They identified any way to demonstrate, is there a color, is there a shirt? Is they have not, but if I hear about it, I will let you know. So kind of things are pretty much unfolding in a live time, and so I'm sort of getting text messages about it. Group that's wearing a color. Yeah, exactly. 
I'll let you know. Also, now on eBay social, if there's a color. Um, and then the other thing too is at Mac, all those that have been displaced are supposed to receive per diem credit cards to cover the cost of food. They were supposed to have gotten them on Friday. By this afternoon, they still haven't received them. Supposedly, they will get them tomorrow. Um, but churches and other community organizations um, started to bring in food. James, Reverend James Blake, who's a part of Camp Fisher Memorial, he's worked with the Max community coordinator. And if you would like to drop off any bulk item food, um, you can drop it off. They have created a donation center. And it's um, at the map. I can email this out. But it's 51B Ridgeway Avenue. Um, and that's their kind of recreational center where you can drop off donations. And then that woman is promising to get them to the hotels and to the people. Because part of the issue is the hotels aren't wanting the food in the lobbies. So, um, but I can send that out as well. But I just want to let you know those two things. I have a question that's kind of obvious, but when you say a city council meeting, are you talking about in the city main office building? Yes. Downtown. Yeah. Downtown. In that lobby. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more organizing around DHA in the coming weeks and months. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean. It's, it's bad. The, yeah. It is very bad. And just so, and I'm sure you all are aware, but MacDougall Terrace was not and still is not a part of the $95 million bond that the city just passed. So they're really, they're kind of saying there is no money to fix these problems. Um, so it's going to, it's a long journey ahead of, and Mac is not the only housing unit, housing area that falls into that. So. Yeah. Lord have mercy. So, <clears throat> uh, and it, with that very dark, I mean, I read that headline, I just couldn't believe it that they, yeah. Mm. Okay, I'm done. In the midst of that, we wanted to turn ourselves, it's Epiphany Sunday, um, Epiphany and light and breaking in and the revelation of possibility and new things, and we made that star together during Advent, and there it is. So, as we come here reflecting on all these things, wanted to hold the space that we've been trying to create in some different way through each of these seasons and rhythms on Sunday to hear some of what you brought in with you and to hold that in a space of prayer and imagination and hope. And so, since we've been together last, where have you experienced the light? Be it but a glimmer. Maybe we're blinded by it. But where have you seen the light since we were last together? You know, that's something that comes to mind. Um, we got, so we flew to see my family in Colorado for Christmas. And Misha had been starting to get sick um, before we got off the plane. And by the time we got off the plane, he had a pretty high temperature. Um, and he's had a history of having so we went straight from the Denver airport to the urgent care at the Children's Hospital in Denver, uh, just because we knew we'd be traveling for the next week, so we thought we'd get them checked out. And went into the urgent care, and in walked one of my friends from college, when I went to undergrad back in college, like 15 years ago. Um, she was the doctor for the day. 
<laughs> which was um, shocking to say the least, but I think turned out to be fortuitous because um, she spent probably more time working with him than another doctor would have and ended up catching that he did have the beginning of pneumonia coming on. Um, so she was able to, you know, like treat him safely out the door. Um, but I think had just any other doctor walked in, he probably would have been passed through pretty quickly and would have been back in the hospital full blown pneumonia and things like that. I always like just this time of year, maybe not this time of year because you gotta get work tomorrow, but <laughs> the, the time of year when you know the this, the year changes and you don't work as much, and it's just a good time for reflection. So I don't have any big profound event, but I just have really enjoyed this time of kind of reflecting on the past year and being with family and kind of Last year when we did the Words on the Stars, um, I took a retreat away shortly after that. And I feel like kind of the answer to that like Word on the Star and the stuff that came up with the retreat actually started coming to fruition about a month ago and has like continued. Mm -hmm. And that was just really hopeful for me because I don't feel like I have a lot of margin to do the kinds of things that I want to do for the life stage that we're in. But it just became very apparent that presence has really mattered in significant ways. And that's, yeah, it's just been very clear that I've been able to be present in situations where it feels like that's what God had for me. And that was like in my power and in my energy level and within my time to give. And I've been very grateful to be participating in his kingdom, like that he would invite me in in a way that's beautiful. I think the biggest area of light for me is with my mother heart. I have um, adult kids and my daughter and her husband were moving on New Year's Day from Columbia, Missouri to Starkville, Mississippi um, for two years as he does with the postdoc. And, you know, there's just, no matter how old they get, I'm sure your parents say the same thing to you. You are with them every minute. So I was with them on the drive. I was with them as they unloaded the U-Haul in my head and my heart. And first morning, my daughter, who works remotely with an organization based in D.C., went to a local coffee shop that served counterculture coffee. <laughs> and they found the microbrewery on Friday night. And they're settling in. And they told me the house that they're renting reminds me of a combination of every little old house I've rented in Durham. <laughs> anyway, that brought me light. So for friends in unexpected places, for time among people who we love and give us love, for things coming to fruition, for people that we love finding places, new places to settle and be loved, for all these things we give thanks on this Epiphany Sunday. And Neil, who you may know such, from such projects as Eway's Spontaneous Advent Project, <laughs> is here standing in tonight for Suze Long, who you may also know from such projects as Spontaneous Advent Pageant. So thanks for hopping in at the last minute with us, Neil. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that was, uh, the pageant was really cool. Thanks to everyone who jumped in. But 
It was a special source of light for me, playing, playing music with new people, getting to work together in new ways with folks. That was really fun. Um, so, you know, yeah. See you see all next year.
Thanks so much, Neil. Um, we are going to quickly pass the piece. We have cheese balls in the back. If you perk of having a pregnant pastor, I was in Target and they looked really good, so I bought them. <laughs> Um, so that's why they're here. Um, so yeah, we'll pass the piece quickly and come back and talk about Isaiah and Epiphany, but talk to someone who you haven't seen over the holiday. Um, peace be with you. All right, if people would start working their way back toward the middle, that'd be great. Um, so even if you aren't sitting in the middle but would listen as someone, I'm going to ask if somebody would read the scripture for tonight from the prophet Isaiah. Um, and I have one kind of question for you all to be thinking about as we hear this text. So who... Who do you think, as you're hearing it, who's the you that the prophet is referring to throughout this text? Just kind of, who's the you? That's the question to start us off tonight. Um, and yeah, would someone read these six verses? Thanks, Jessica. Isaiah 16, one through six. Arise, shine, so your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of the dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephraim, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Thanks so much, Jessica. So, any thoughts? on who the possible you might be referring to. Maybe it's what you've heard the you is referring to, what you think after hearing it. Just shout them out on who you think the you might be. Israel. Israel, yeah. Good guess. In the Episcopal tradition where I am, this is one of the canticles of morning prayer. Yeah. So, arise, shine, for your light has come. That's for anyone who's yep. woken up. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Jeff. Who else? Who do you think the you, or who have you heard the you referred about? Seems like God's people. Yeah, God's people. I like this you up next to keep your lamp. Yeah. Kind of burning, I think. Every, maybe the same view, but like in a very different spot. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's true. Mm. Those are all good thoughts. Any other thoughts on who the you might be? 
So a lot of folks um, sort of depends. There are multiple camps on who the you is, but I really like trust the rabbis here. Um, but they, so some people, right, and especially I think whenever we, um, how this text falls on Epiphany Sunday, some Christians in particular will say that the you is solely referring to Christ and or the Magi. So that's kind of one train of thought. Others will say that it only refers to Israel, right? To the Israel people. But there's this really beautiful school of thought along kind of to Jeff's point. That when translated, not in the New Revised Standard Version, but when taking the Hebrew, and when translating the Hebrew, that actually the you is referring to Zion, but Zion throughout the prophet of Isaiah and the multiple writers throughout the prophet of Isaiah, how they use Zion refers to a universal you, an all-encompassing people then, people now, people in between, people before, people after, you. That it is whole and that it invites and includes we as present-day readers as an invitation to be about the illuminating, all-encompassing light of God. For the you that arises that this prophet was speaking about comes from a God who continually then and continually now invites us into a redeeming, empowering light. Not merely for one situation, but for all. Not merely for one place, but even our place. And as one scholar put it, too simplistically, we can read Isaiah 60 on Epiphany and conjure up images of the three magi bearing gifts, finally making it to the manger. We can reduce Epiphany and we can even reduce this text to acute narrative, to acute telling that satisfies our longings for a few particular people to see and respond to the light of God. And yet, Epiphany is so much more than the story of the Magi and is a lot more encompassing of us than we often would like to think. Epiphany holds and includes all people, even now. And God's glory is actually fulfilled according to this text, according to the prophets of Isaiah, through God's people having theological imagination and actually arising and shining and having fortitude to see and name and live into the light. Um, Now some of us might be sitting here and thinking and perhaps I maybe have had had this thought as I was working with the text this week that well, that's all nice and dandy, <laughs> and our, our light has come, and we are to be about that light, and this is really beautiful, an all-encompassing, universal light and love of God, but this was written long ago. It was a prophet then, not a prophet now. Does it really matter 
Has the light really come? Is the light really here? With war, right, brewing in the Middle East, when there's so much unrest and anxiety around the fact that the lives of hundreds of thousands of people are more than likely about to be dramatically changed, right? Especially the poor, the brown-skinned, the child, when 3,000 from Fort Bragg just couple hundred miles away have been sent off to the Middle East as well. Where is the light in that? Is it really that encompassing of a light? Or a bit closer, right? Where is the light? In McDougal Terrace. Where is the light there? Was this prophet just saying really nice things, but the rabbis have it wrong, and we really aren't implicated because our lives, our world, our despair, the darkness that is here just feels like too much. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this prophet, these prophets, were riding into times and spaces that were not that dissimilar from our present day. The prophecy in today's text was written into the very complexities and uncertainties of life. It was written upon the return to Jerusalem after Babylon, after the Israelites had been in Babylon in the 6th century, and there had been major conflict that had broken out between those that had gone away and those that stayed. Living conditions were extremely difficult, many say uninhabitable. Jerusalem was in ruins. The people were divided. Black, like right, wrong, (laughs) black and white, Red, blue, however you want to divide, right? They were divided. And it wasn't, it was against outside enemies, but they had become divided amongst themselves. And into all of this darkness, and all of this pain, and all of this wondering, right, is the God that was with us in the wilderness, with us now, is the light still here that today's text breaks forth. And so the preceding chapters, if you start kind of in like 58, 57, 58, are all about gloom and despair. They're about a call of repentance for the ways of the wicked are crooked. They're about the transgressions of many and the sins that testify against all God's people. It's a dark time. But it is into that very moment, into that very place, where this prophet says, hey, y'all, you've kind of forgotten that there is a God who has come and is here and will come and continue to come and is calling you to arise and shine, for your light has come. And the kind of funny thing is that these chapters, as we start getting into the prophets, we'll find out that kind of the prophets are written by bunch of different people. So this is third Isaiah, and the belief is that it was written by a group of prophets who actually were sitting in the darkest place. They were this remnant that was shunned without any power, but they were dedicated to the preservation and to the theological imagination of reminding people of a God that continually is for and with and breaks forth and brings light. And they were determined to say, hey, wake up, 
Arise, remember, even in the very places of complexity, uncertainty, despair, and evil, when you think there's simply a deep yearning for light and glory to come, but it never will, that that light and glory does come and has come and is coming if you would but wake up and see and enter in and have the imagination to be about bringing more light alongside God. Light, glory, possibility, the prophet says, not despite of the hard or despite of the darkness, but in the very midst of it, light. Why, though? Might it be hard for you? Or do you think those in 6th century BCE to actually believe the light that God's glory has in fact come and that we are invited to arise and shine and live into that light? Why is this prophet's call that implicates all of us challenging? I keep thinking about this medieval terrorist meeting. <coughs> I don't see how it fits into our week and how responding to prophetic calls is um, so boring if you have other things to do. Mm-hmm. If you have the privilege to have other things to do and a place to be. Um, and so you know, the idea of responding to that call is kind of, can be kind of sexy, but actually doing it is a process of do, mostly failing and hoping that as a whole people show up um, in whatever cracks there are. Um, but I also keep thinking of um, this book I just read was really talking about we can find, we should find joy in these struggles because the work we do now is not not just for like the, the people and places that need help, but like um, makes like fighting for the way these kind of texts are interpreted. Um, can make them, like, you know, like your big evangelical church is not going to interpret this text the way we are, but struggling, like, on the ground, um, what can actually, like, change the way, like, most people interpret these texts in the future, which, like, is just, like, so many layers of deliverance, and, but that's just, like, it's just, we're not, like, wired to, like, think about our futures that way. And it takes time. Yeah. And it takes breaking, kind of. Making time and busy schedules and yeah, we're just yeah. like not biologically yeah. wired to do that. Like yeah. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I really um, love Walter Brueggemann has an excellent book called The Prophetic Imagination. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's written a long time ago, but it's like top notch. And he talks about the work of the prophet, um, but throughout the book, really, it's the work the work of a person, the work of a people who are captivated by a God that um, 
would speak and continues to speak through prophets. And he says, the prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the visions can be implemented, for questions and implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that make possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger. He goes on to say, every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist, of the prophet, because they know they imagine. It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing future alternatives to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. Which kind of gets at, I think, what you were talking about, that the work, these texts, are inviting us to imagine and to keep open futures that we are being told cannot or should not, where there's no way that they can possibly exist. And yet, it's our work as children of God, as people of God, to say, no, actually, they can, because the light has come for us all. Any others? Why is it hard? This text, this notion of light, and to believe that God's light has come and broke forth. That quote um, that you just shared reminds me, uh, my family had a conversation over Christmas around um, the ideas I've been contemplating a lot lately around you know, the abolition of prisons and uh, reimagining of policing and um, right now imagining a world without war. Was really difficult and kind of posing those questions to my parents in, in a challenging way and asking them to imagine that. Um, and I'm reminded of our of our Advent conversation around hope. And one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because it asks something of us that if if this isn't true, then everything's you know just meaningless. But if if this is true and if we choose to hope, then that implicate like we have to respond, we have to act in that way um, and that's that's great and that's hard but i appreciate that challenge that it yeah, requires a response thanks becca so if you were here last year and sarah i did not tee up sarah to mention the star words last year um but often congregations when choosing the text of the magi for epiphany they kind of throughout history have in the same way that the magi were given a star to follow churches will put words on stars that you were given at the start of every year to kind of follow, be framed, shaped by. We did that last year. But I was really wrestling if a star word in that way worked in the same way with this Isaiah text. We're going to do it slightly differently because I think really what this invitation such a grace-filled invitation, right? That even as we sit in what feels like so much darkness, there is a light. 
And we are invited into that light just as we are to live in it, to be changed by it, to try things and maybe fail and try something else, but there's grace there to imagine different futures. And so we, if you will, I mean, you don't have to, but there are stars here, but they're blank this year. And what I want us to do is take a few moments connected to Marie and Becca's comments and to Brueggemann around what does it mean to imagine and with this text that the light has come, that God is with us and for us and inviting us to be a people of light in the darkest of places. Um, You're going to take a star. You're going to spend a few moments writing, drawing, If you come up with something other than writing or drawing, that's great. Those are the two that I came up with. Of a word, maybe it's a sentence. Perhaps you're going to name a place. Perhaps you're going to name an action. Perhaps you are going to name a hope or a place where you're, you're wanting to be brave. But on this star, I want you to write down this year how you are going to be open to seeing and arising where the light is, even when the world is telling you that it is not there. So where do you see, hope, expect, or imagine the light to break forth, this epiphany, this year, in these times in which we find ourselves to be brave, to have the boldness of imagination. And some, sure, are probably going to call it foolish. You might even think it's foolish writing on a paper star that I cut out. But I was at a circle last night full of women, and someone said, it's not until I speak something out loud or write something down that I actually believe it and live into it. And so we're going to live into how we're going to be a people of light who have arisen and are shining right where we are. Um, That's what we're going to do. And then we'll come back and kind of share if you want. So take a paper star. You can take more if you want. There are pins on the tables. But spend a few moments writing down a word, action, hope, expectation, for you are going to see and be about the light. All right, well, um, I'm going to play a song I wrote. Uh, It's not a real sing-alongable tune, so I'm not even going to encourage you to try. Um, It was written, I guess I was trying to channel some type of prophetic something or other when I was writing it, and I was really, I think I might have said this before, but um, I was at a conference recently where uh, people were talking about data, and they said that data is the new oil in terms of what is the commodity of highest value. So I th- that's something that I was really trying to channel, thinking about this song and how the things that control our lives, the economic powers that be, and um, our cell phones tracking us, they're all connected. <coughs> and um, I think in some ways it's perverse, and in some ways there's um, 
a prophetic reading, rereading of those types of things and how we interpret our own scripture and things like that. I don't know. It's kind of harebrained, but whatever. Oh, Father of light, come down to me. Oh, Father of light, come on down to me. Conditioned air, network routed fingertips, shifting in the chair, limbic systems connected via satellite, transmitting our data to the most high. Oh, Father of Light, come down to. to finish our freshly minted cities humanity diminished cause proof can't pay its way through dog-eared pages of dead languages my understood people what good is cake from on high when permission is denied to all my understood people Congressional district Once you pick at the scab of What amount you have of conventional wisdom Better open up your compact For full-scale
wish we could live forever and melt into the sun. Melt into the sun. Time's gonna change you when it gets you on the run. Gets you on the run. Cause there will be, there will be. There will be light, oh there will be a light There will be, there will be, there will be a light Oh there will be a light I've been running ever since Ever since I was a child Some call it free And some call it wild There will be, there will be Fear not, for I am with you. I will fear not, I will fear not with you here. It will be, it will be, there will be a totally clear earlier that Sue's called in about a little before noon today, you know, too sick to sing, and Neil put all that together, you know, on the, on the run today, so thanks for doing that, Neil, and I will simply say, on the back of that, all God's understood people, march around the paywall seven times to come to this table where God's light is shining between us, even now, for you, a table where you are and have always been welcome, a table where God's light is and has always been 
shining that gathers nations together and gathers us together to serve each other in the light of that same God tonight. You know how to do it. Welcome. 